I love the phrase, advancing the practice of nursing. I really think that that's what we do. Hi, I'm Robin Newhouse, Dean of Indiana University School of Nursing. Today, you're joining us for Pulse Points, Indiana University School of Nursing's podcast. Hello, and welcome to Pulse Points, Indiana University School of Nursing's official podcast. Today, joining us are Dr. Jan Fulton and Dr. Brenda Lyon. The two demonstrate incredible leadership in advancing the practice of nursing. They work meticulously to educate advanced practice registered nurses and advocate for the recognition of clinical nurse specialist and clinical nurse specialist practice nationally. In fact, Dr. Lyon played an integral role in founding the National Association of Clinical Nurse Specialists. We are very fortunate to have them both share their experience and passion for the nursing profession here at Indiana University School of Nursing. Dr. Fulton and Dr. Lyon, thank you for joining us in the studio today. I am delighted to hear about the history of clinical nurse specialists in Indiana and the intersection of clinical nurse specialists and nursing research. Thank you for inviting us. Thank you for the invitation. Glad you're here. The clinical nurse specialist role is complex. It's multifaceted, and the clinical nurse specialists sometimes aren't well understood or visible as their advanced practice actually works directly through registered nurses or nursing roles. However, they've been a vital part of the healthcare industry complex for more than 60 years. Can you share with us some of the history of clinical nurse specialists in Indiana and at the Indiana University School of Nursing? Well, I'll, I'll start with that section, given that I was actually admitted to the CNS program in 1969 here at IU School of Nursing. And the program, the master's program, started in 1968. And a curriculum was put together that was a disease-based, which was very common, medical model curriculum at the time. Just after one year in 1969, Dr. Lois Meyer was recruited here to be the department chair for the Department of Medical Surgical Nursing. And um, she obviously ran the uh, master's degree program at the same time. And she was a student of and mentored by Dr. Martha Rogers. So the curriculum took an immediate shift <laughs> from a medical model to a nursing model and focused on phenomenon of concern to nursing. So we studied nausea, um, I studied stress, and the, and the only stress theory that is research validated as of today, um, immobility, skin breakdown. And there wasn't a lot of research back then, but there was enough for us to get the idea that CNS, at that time we weren't called CNSs, we were called clinical specialists. Quickly, we moved to, um, research-based practice. So I kind of, I've been chuckling for a long time when evidence-based practice, although that's broader, it includes more than research, when people said, oh my gosh, this is so new, you know, in the 80s and 90s, and here we were getting this in 1969 in the 70s. But anyway, the program at that time was uh, 42 credit hours with a 12 credit hour minor, functional minor in teaching, administration, or clinical. And then the faculty decided that was just too many credit hours for a master's degree. 
and cut it back to 36. And then people could do their postmaster's work in administration, clinical, or teaching. But guess what? Nobody did that. <laughs> Very few people did that. So then in 1987, that was in 1981. In 1987, the program was increased to 42 credit hours with nine credit hours of electives uh, that could be taken in anything, including teaching administration or in supportive cognate courses. So, and the clinical nurse specialist title, we started using that in 1981, which this mirrors the history, the development of the role nationally. Um, but anyway, I'm a proud graduate of that program. Thank God for Dr. Lois Meyer. I just happened to be at the right place at the right time, not by any deliberate choice. Well, I joined the faculty here in 2002, and Indiana University was pioneering a lot of distance uh, technology and had a lot of technology support for their uh, educational programs. And so um, I wrote um, a HRSA grant, and we took the um, clinical nurse specialist statewide, which turned out to be a wonderful experience. We uh, enrolled students who would often say, I never thought I could get a coveted IU degree if you wouldn't have reached out to me where I live. So we had, I used to have a map in my office and we would put pins where all the students were coming from. And there were places north, south, east, and west where we were covering the state with opportunities for students to come to school. And we have remained here at the school, the CNS program has remained distance accessible and has continuously had a, a rel relatively robust recruitment uh, because it's an accessible program and it's a highly respected program. Right. One of the other reasons to come here was after going to a couple of the initial clinical nurse specialist conferences, the national conferences, I was always impressed with the students from Indiana who presented their work and uh, I thought that program had it glued together so I wanted to join the team. And we're glad you did. <laughs> Yeah, this is remarkable uh, to hear about the history of the clinical nurse specialist development and, and uh, particularly how the origin was right here in the Midwest mm -hmm. at Indiana University. So absolutely remarkable because now as cl a clinical nurse specialist role has continued to expand from a thought to the graduate degree to functioning in the healthcare system, the outcomes associated with these advanced practice roles are pretty clear. Can you talk a little bit about the unique role of the clinical nurse specialist and the value they bring to people and patients? The huge contribution that clinical nurse specialists make is they bring a nursing perspective to patient care. Now, what does that mean? That means they focus on diagnosing, the differential diagnosis of the etiologies that contribute to or cause symptoms or functional problems that are different from the disease the person has and or the medical therapeutics they're receiving. So the clinical nurse specialist is bringing a knowledge perspective to be able to differentially diagnose around symptoms and functional problems and then be able to identify interventions that can help patients and populations of patients and in addition to that direct patient focus that the clinical nurse specialist brings, CNSs also work to advance the practice of nursing by bridging the gap between what we now know from in research, 
which is growing all the time, and then what's brought to patient care. And then the third sphere, and these are called spheres of influence, the patient, the nurse, and the system. And then the third, the third component is making system changes to improve patient outcomes and or improve safety along with cost effectiveness. Now the critical thing about the CNS role is that that differential diagnostic process that CNSs learn, which is very different from medical differential diagnosis, is applicable at the patient level, the nurse level, and the system level because they have to focus really on root cause analysis of what's going on in a very complex situation. Whereas medical diagnostic work is pattern matching between the, the assessment that is made by the provider and a template for diseases. So it's really pattern matching, where what CNSs do is a root cause analysis in a complex situation to identify all the factors that are contributing to whatever the problem is, be that in the patient sphere, nurse sphere, or system sphere. I um, divide my career in half, and the first half of my career was really practicing as a clinical nurse specialist. And the job of the clinical nurse specialist in providing support for the practice of nursing in hospitals is huge. We have new staff, old staff, um, but nurses are not necessarily inquisitive about their practice. They're more routine. How does, am I supposed to do this in the hospital? But following the procedures doesn't solve all the problems. And so once the staff gets wind of the fact that you're there and you can help them, they will call you. What do I do? This is the dressing kit, but it doesn't work on this patient. This is the procedure for blood transfusion, but my patient has a unique problem. So it's a lot of legwork in solving problems and then working out continuing solutions that as technology has changed and treatments have changed, somebody needs to live on that boundary between established nursing and cutting edge next generation. And I've always said that the nurses are the boundary guardians of nursing practice, that when new things come along, who's going to interpret what nurses need to do in that practice area? Mm -hmm. I started my practice before HIV. I watched HIV uh, emerge, and I saw mostly clinical specialists who were in oncology and infection disease come together to try to define what that care would look like, create standards, lead nursing practice, and that sort of boundary uh, spanning, because you're the, the things will always change. But who's the leader in clinical care for nursing? Not diagnostics, not medical treatment, not surgical um, procedures, but what do nurses do with these patients? What do nurses do with these technologies? How do we help the patients? And I think that that's where all of what Brenda's talking about, about diagnostics and understanding these problems, uh, that's what a clinical nurse specialist does in practice. You can really see it in magnet hospitals that tend to be um, have embraced the clinical nurse specialist role because they have to embrace that curious thinking, that level of clinical inquiry that makes nurses willing to say, well, how do we fix this problem? What do we do different? Um, sometimes it's a technology issue. Sometimes it's a staffing issue, a man management issue, a um, financial issue. There are barriers of all sorts that get in the way of nursing delivering good care. So how do we change those barriers and move forward? I love the phrase, advancing the practice of nursing. I really think that that's what we do. Right. 
Right. And just to go back just for a second, mm -hmm. for the magnet, mm -hmm. it is indeed true that the vast, vast majority, I don't know exactly what it is, it's probably well over 90% of the hospitals that have magnet status are well-staffed with CNSs. Mm -hmm. I think Dr. Walker and Erden mm -hmm. uh, did some research in that field and really demonstrated that uh, more successful magnet applications are related to higher numbers of CNSs. Right. Uh, right. Yeah. And uh, as you're talking, I'm, I'm picking up some of the unique attributes of a CNS. And, and clearly, if we think about the end of the day, the important thing is the patient. And right. you mentioned the management of symptoms and how a CNS approaches uh, the reasoning about plans of care for people. So a clinical nurse specialist affects symptoms such as pain, fatigue, wellness, quality of life. Immobility, uh, immobility skin so. breakdown. I mean, it's... It's, it's symptom it's, management and functional problems. Right. But at the end of the day, it's the symptoms that people are most concerned about very often mm -hmm. in their disease process. So it is absolutely essential and patient-centered when we think about patient-centeredness. Oh, and you also mentioned that there are systems that are affected. And at the end of the day, there are many kinds of outcomes that we measure, like readmission and um, length of stay and cost. So CNSs are linked to reduce cost, Reduced length of stay and Absolutely. reduced readmissions to the hospital. So very important. And an example like that for a population of patients where they're seeing a lot of readmissions, in, unfortunately, what happens when you don't have CNSs in a facility that are attending to that, they might not be there at all or they're attending to something else, oftentimes it's a knee-jerk response to that. We must just need to educate the patient more, give them more information. You know, so that, that's the kind of thing that happens, but it doesn't change anything. But a CNS going into that situation would look at it and find out what are the factors that are contributing to this readmission and do a root cause analysis to identify what needs to be addressed. And when that does happen, and there are evidences of that in the literature, when that does happen, readmissions are significantly decreased. You um, mentioned in your first question that CNSs are frequently not very visible. And in fact, a lot of our work is invisible. And some of our recent research is really taking a look at what happens that's invisible. We see we're working very hard. And a lot of it is um, expert work, which expert work done really well is invisible. A person is uh, control controls their work environment, sets their priorities. But a lot of CNS work is going around and influencing, building teams, working with trust, getting folks to buy into what you're doing. So if you do have to, you come up with a cause, well, everybody's not just going to buy into that. Mm -hmm. There's hours and hours and weeks and months of work trying to convince people to, to see this, to to change the system, to meet those patients' needs, to make sure it fits contextually and whatever's going on on the unit or at that clinic. So it's it's um, very difficult, thoughtful, um, um, individual sort of reaching out and building trusting relationships with people for the CNS to make these things happen. And that's part of what makes us invisible because we don't have billing codes for 
getting activities, for right. activities for for getting people to trust you when you say I want to recommend this product for getting people to trust you when you say we need to change the admission procedure uh, th those kinds of things are just not cost friendly so I'm interested in knowing what drew you to the CNS program well like for me I said like I said I knew that I wanted to teach and so I knew I needed a master's degree. And at the time there was med surge nursing, pediatrics and psych. So <laughs> med surge nursing was it. So by total luck um, and whatever, whatever else may have influenced that, I came here and I didn't know. I mean, with the CNS title, when I was admitted to the program in 1969, clinical nurse specialist title didn't exist. It was a, it was a specialist nurse. I mean, a special, a specialist, a clinical specialist, not a clinical nurse specialist, and um, and that wasn't emphasized a lot back then. I mean, I knew I was learning advanced nursing, which I loved, but anyway, I was at the right place at the right time. So I can't say I made a deliberate choice. <laughs> I worked in a urban inner city. Uh, medical center where I worked with uh, a small cadre of CNSs and they were called CNSs. I was in the mid-70s and I was absolutely wowed by their independence, their leadership, the respect that they brought from physicians and from other nurses and the university had a clinical nurse specialist program and I signed up. Um, yeah, early in my career, I uh, got a master's degree, and and like your program, Brenda, it required uh, it was a it was a quarter system, quarter credit hour system. It was ninety credits, and you did thirty of them in a functional minor and a full thesis. Right, we did a full thesis too. Absolutely, yeah. everybody did a full thesis. I used to say it was, it was at the time, the terminal degree in nursing for right, the most part, right. so. it was. But I have loved every minute of being a CNS. I would never go back to choose anything else. How has the CNS role changed over time, and what do you see as the vision for CNSs? The role, per se, hasn't really changed much. What's changed is it's being better articulated. Uh, the National Association of Clinical Nurse Specialists we came out in 1998 with a um, statement on CNS practice and CNS education. And we defined the three spheres of influence. Before that, the CNS was pretty much defined by what were called sub-roles, teacher, administrator, clinician. And the problem is that was just incredibly confusing because those were roles in and of themselves. and you could have an activity, something that the CNS is doing that involves all aspects of every one of them. So that just didn't work. And so we, we, more, we pretty clearly defined the, the uh, three spheres of influence and then all of the competencies in those three spheres of influence as well as associated outcomes were defined in 1998. And I would just say that the CNS world is getting better and better at publishing, doing research, and publishing their outcomes. Now that work is very landmark. Um, before that, schools sort of defined what they wanted to put into the curriculum. There was no uh, benchmark for where graduates were supposed to be. And one of the best things about that original statement is that it first linked competencies to outcomes. Mm 
And when you look at some of the other uh, APN roles and some of the other documents that had come out before, there were sometimes competencies. There were always light on outcomes. But or this, no outcomes at all. <laughs> yeah, well, that's right. typical. But this, two, this linked those two things together. And so it gave guidance to educational programs as this is what we need to teach you because this is what you need to do when you graduate. And it provides uh, guidance for employers and for the CNSs as this is what we expect at the end of the day for your outcomes. And so it, put a, it did put a lot of structure around the CNS role, which didn't exist before. Right. Which made a major contribution, like you said, in terms of employers and those to whom the CNS reports, they're able to then better evaluate how well the CNS is doing his or her job. What was so remarkable about that is once it was released, CNSs with years of experience instantly embraced it. It's like, oh, you've defined me. So it, it was dead-on accurate in that the community, nobody fussed about it. Everybody thought, finally, a document that describes me. Now, I would say, in terms of the future, our challenge is, because, and we've had a couple of major challenges. We've had a push by a particular national organization, frankly, to do away with the CNS role and replace it with the clinical nurse leader role. And in fact, uh, the clinical nurse specialist programs have been for years included in the US News and World Report rankings for which are the best schools. And IU School of Nursing was always, by the way, number two or number three, often, more often than not, number two in the country. And unfortunately, um, the association the American Association of Colleges of Nursing has made that CNS program data no longer available to the US News and World Report for programs to be evaluated. So we have people out there that for some reason are having difficulty with the CNS role and would rather have a CNL role that they can control. That road's been a difficult road to hoe. I think that going forward, the impetus for the CNS initially, back if you read um, the stuff from the 60s and you know Francis Reader's work and, and Hilda Peplau's old work, a lot of the impetus for bringing on a CNS is somebody needs to get in this place and support nursing practice. You know, the nurses need a bedside, I call it elbow consult. Again, fixing those problems, this dressing won't stick. I can't figure out how to make the patient comfortable. Somebody needs to step in and provide that support. And having removed CNSs from so many institutions, I think we're back in the day like, well, who's going to help us? There's nobody here to help us. And I really think that that will bring us back because the problem still exists. The need for the CNS is as strong today as it was in the 60s. So, you know, folks wise up. It's it's a bargain for your money. Um, A smart administrator will recognize that because CNSs are not line administration, the staff will tell them all sorts of things. I've worked with administrators who've said, I gotta meet with my CNSs to find out what's going on in the units. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because you're safe, you give advice, you give counsel, you're not in a position for them to feel like you can retaliate with staffing or scheduling or whatever. Um, And they just see you as a safe, friendly, helpful person. And boy, can you influence people when they see you in that role. 
Yeah, I completely agree. As a nursing administrator, I knew I had to have a CNS in, in the product line mm -hmm. because a completely, you're exactly right, completely different role, understands the process, and then really focused on the outcomes that we're trying to achieve. Completely agree. So, um, Dr. Lyon, you talked about nursing research and the intersection with clinical nurse specialists. Can you talk a little bit about that intersection? The intersection is basically focused on phenomena of concern to nursing. Nursing research, underlined, capitalized, should be focused on symptoms and functional problems that can be prevented or ameliorated or altered, getting gotten rid of, um, by nursing interventions. And its its focus is on the unique contribution of nurses to patient care. You know, I always, it just absolutely tickles me in a sad kind of way when I see nurses who unfortunately are not able to articulate what it is that they bring to the table that's unique. But yet, because they're a nurse, and they participate in patient rounds with an interdisciplinary group, they think they're doing interdisciplinary practice. But it's not interdisciplinary if you're not bringing a different perspective and a unique contribution to the focus on that patient's care. But anyway, nursing research, the intersection between what nurses and CNSs do is should be the focus on symptoms and functional problems that we as nurses can make a difference in. I like that phrase, phenomenon mm -hmm. of uh, concern for nursing. Right. And I use that a lot with students and they sort of look at you with that glazed over you know, right. idea. And so you have to ask them, what do you bring to the table? Because if you don't bring something, why are you here? Right. Um, and so they have to think about a problem. And if you can get, get students or staff to begin to think, well, why do I care that the patient has this condition or this problem? What am I going to do about it? How am I going to help the patient live with it? So it's reframing that stuff, and then you can drill them down and say, see, that's your unique contribution. That's the lens through which you see this. These are the phenomena of concern for you. Um, there used to be a little booklet out for adolescents that had cancer, and I've forget what it was called or where it came from, but I memorized the phrase, and it's what it is that I have, don't want, didn't ask for, and can't get rid of. <laughs> and, and that's trying to live with, you know, if you looked around a room of 100 people, probably 50% of them had a chronic disease, if you want to call it that, from glaucoma to hypertension to pick something. But people feel that they are healthy because they are managing that and being and functioning at a high level. And so that's our our job as nurses is to help with those phenomenon that interfere with people's ability to live their best life and to make them more comfortable moving forward with that and to bring that perspective to the table. Everything isn't curable. Everything isn't fixable. And some things you got to live with whether you like it or not. So what are those phenomena of nursing that drive us to help the patient live with it whether you like it or not? Right. Helping the person adjust to a different set of expectations in terms of what they're capable of doing, mm -hmm. whether that's cognitive in terms of decision-making or mobility or whatever that is, helping them make that adjustment. In the context of their lives. Right. So what would you say to students that are interested in pursuing a career as a CNS? Bring it on. Do it. <laughs> Do it. Do it. And the other thing, too, that's just 
so incredibly wonderful about a career as a CNS is it's the ultimate in variety. Oh. And if you like variety, this no is the role for the you. Same. No two days are the same. If you like routine, this is not your role. You know, we had, we had a colleague who used to say you can take a uh, like a nurse practitioner or a staff nurse who who has a pretty routine, you know, see these same case study. You can take them and make them a CNS, but you can never take a CNS and put them back into a job that's routine cuz they'll they'll just like they'll lose their mind. Yeah, they'll, they'll, they'll just like one week and they're out of there. Yeah. No. <laughs> I love the other people who say, "Well, I didn't get certified, so am I still a CNS?" And my answer is, and when did you have that part of your brain amputated? Because <laughs> once you learn to think this way, it becomes a lifetime habit. Can you give me an example of some of the experiences that CNSs have? There was this gentleman who was a software engineer in his late 30s, married, um, had one child, his wife was pregnant with another child, and he had his own company, and this is in Indianapolis, and he... Uh, developed, it was in the fall, a very severe case of pneumonia. And he was kind of like an all-or-nothing guy, still is, and he just got sicker and sicker, and, and it's more and more difficult to breathe, and he just would refuse to go to the doctor. So finally, his wife pretty much forced him to go to the emergency room. So they went to the emergency room, and he had double pneumonia and a huge abscess, abscess in his right lung. And the doctors said to him and his wife, you know, if, if we don't do surgery, you're going to die. If we do do surgery, there's a chance you're going to die, but you have a chance to live. The likelihood, if we do surgery, that you're going to go into septicemia is pretty great. But, you know, we'll try to take care of that. But this is the only chance that you've got. So they decided to take him into surgery, and this is at Community North Hospital. And... They took him into surgery, and then afterwards, he's in ICU, and lo and behold, he goes in to septicemia, septic shock, and his PO2 levels are declining every day, declining and declining and declining, and he begins to experience total organ system failure. And the physicians say to the wife uh, in front of the nurses, you know, I, this is not looking good, and the nurses they didn't know what to do, but they knew they needed to call uh, Teresa Murray, who's the critical care CNS for community hospitals. If you don't know what else to do, you call a CNS. Right, if you don't know what else to do, you call a CNS. So they called Teresa, Teresa who was covering all of the hospitals in the system, but she went to North Hospital, assessed him, and said, we need the Volman turning device. Now Kathleen Volman uh, developed a proning device that would hold the patient's chest, when you prone the patient, hold the upper part of the chest off the bed and then the lower abdomen off the bed to give the, the lungs room to expand by gravity. Okay, back to Florence Nightingale, okay. So anyway, they got the, the uh, Volman uh, proning device and put him on the proning device and almost immediately his PO2 levels started to increase and he was discharged just fine two weeks later from the hospital. And the scary thing is he would have died and nobody would have known that nursing care would have saved his life. And you see, Brenda, yours is an example of why nurses need to understand 
physiology and not pathophysiology. Exactly. You understand lung expansion, PO2. You can come up Branding. with alternatives to that. I, I always say that nurses need to exquisitely understand mobility and balance, all of those mechanisms. We need to get those patients out of bed. We need to help them be stable. We need to get them moving. It doesn't matter what the disease is, whether it's exactly. peripheral neuropathy, Parkinson's, uh, stroke. You ha all of those are mobility and balance problems, and they all come back to what is what is it that you're trying to restore so you can restore function. And then you under you have to temper that with well, what's the pathophys that's in the way, but you can't restore normal if you don't understand normal. Exactly. So we're teaching, unfortunately, pathophysiology when we should be teaching physiology. And altered physiology. Altered. There's altered physiology with pain. And, and, and an, another quick example is um, it's clinical nurse specialists who discovered and demonstrated that when a person's receiving chemotherapy, you can help prevent mouth sores by having ice chips in the mouth because that, de that causes vasosuppression of the capillaries in the mouth, which means the chemo is not reaching, which is important. Of course, you gotta know that the person doesn't have oral cancer or throat cancer, but it, it, that helps prevent. It also helps in terms of people not losing their hair using cryo methods on the head when getting chemotherapy. That's all clinical nurse specialists discovered. Well, you've heard it here, these are, those people who actually shaped the formation of CNS, the practice of formation, and advanced the practice, where we now understand exactly what the role is, exactly what a CNS does, and exactly what a benefit a CNS brings to both people that are under their care, as well as health systems. So thank you, thank you, thank you, Dr. Jan Fulton and Dr. Brenda Lyon, Thank you both for joining us today. It's just a delightful and inspirational uh, discussion. I appreciate you taking the time from your day to share your experience and your expertise and tell your stories and for your important work in shaping the profession. Please be sure to visit our website, nursing.iupui.edu, to download episodes of Pulse Points and subscribe for this season's monthly episodes. Thanks again for listening, and remember, it's a good day to be an IU nurse and a good day to be a CNS.